Mark 1, verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Lord, anoint our time in the word tonight. Uh, Speak the good news to us. And Lord, as we've been praying, I pray that that Jesus would be real to us tonight. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you come uh, to bring to our remembrance the things that Jesus uh, did and said. And so, Holy Spirit, we we invite you here uh, to anoint this time. Make us good hearers of your word uh, and good doers of it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're, we're talking about the second half of this, uh, what I've called the Lord's Prayer of the Gospel. Uh, you can break down each word, uh, literally each word in this, um, in this sentence and draw so much meaning from it. So tonight we're talking about repent and believe in the Gospel. Repent and believe in the Gospel. Last week we talked about the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Which I should, say, I should say that when it says that he proclaimed the gospel of God, the gospel of God is the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. That's the gospel of God. Repent and believe is the response that Jesus is looking for at the preaching of the gospel. Okay, so repent and believe in the gospel, which is what we talked about last week. God has shown up. And the, the, the thing that, that the people of God were hoping for and longing for has happened in Jesus. It looked nothing like they expected, as we talked a lot about last week. But it has happened, okay? So, repent and believe. Those are two loaded words, <laughs> quite loaded. In fact, uh, both are listed in Hebrews in, the, uh, in that list of what's called the foundations, Uh, The author of Hebrews says, let's not go back and lay foundations again. And it's where we get each of the topics in our foundations class. He talks about repentance from dead works, faith towards God. And we have two entire teachings in our foundations class on repentance and faith. Faith and believe are the same are the same word. Um, So let me just talk a little bit about what the words mean, and then then we'll talk about this this verse, what it means in light of this verse. So repent means to turn. It means to to change directions. It means to change uh, change the way that you're thinking, okay? And there's also, uh, so that's one aspect of it. Repentance is turning. And the other aspect of it, is a, is a sorrow or a remorse for the way that you had been going that causes you to turn from that. Um, repentance itself is not necessarily... Um, you can repent in a lot of different ways, right? You can, you can repent or, or regret that you ate what you ate and resolve never to eat that thing again, right? Uh, an, upset stomach, an upset stomach causes you to say, oh... I'm, I'm remembering and I'm looking back on me eating that and I'm saying that was not a good direction. And now I have grief and I'm resolving to turn away from that thing. Okay, so it involves a looking back 
and, and <laughs> regretting. It's a, it's a dumb example. But that's, that's what's involved in repentance, is, is it looking back. And it's like when Paul, we, when we talked in, in Romans 6, when Paul says, um, what fruit were you getting at that time? Right? That's, a, that's a spirit of repentance. Looking at it and saying, there was no fruit happening when I was walking according to the flesh and when I was free in regards to righteousness. I was a slave to the flesh. What fruit was I getting at that time? So you look back and you say, what is... That, 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 that is the wrong way to go, and I am turning. Great examples in Scripture. There's some great examples in Scripture, especially the Gospels of, of true repentance. We'll look at some of those in Mark tonight. But I think one of the best examples is the prodigal son, where it says he's, <laughs> he's squandered his wealth and reckless living. He found himself among the pigs, and he's desiring to eat what the pigs are eating. He comes to his senses, and he goes, this is... This was a bad choice. <laughs> this is a bad direction. I'm, I'm going to turn. I'm going to go back. I'm going to return to my father. Right? That's really what repentance is. Realizing that this is not a good thing. I'm sorry that I've been doing this. I'm going to stop. And I'm going to do something else. All right? So turning, but also a realization that this is, this is a regretful this is a regretful course of action, and I'm going to stop this course of action. Um, interesting scriptural example is when God, in, in Genesis, it says that God regretted that he had made mankind. He repented. It says it repented him that he had made mankind. That's the same idea. And this, this has not gone in the way that I envisioned. I'm sorry that this has happened. Right? And then he sends the flood. Luckily, Noah found favor in the eyes of God. But God came to a point where he was, he was grieved that he had made mankind. All right, so this is, what's in, this is what repentance is really about. Um, the other aspect of it, especially in light of old, the Old Testament story, the big story of the Old Testament, is that repentance echoes of the call through the prophets to return to God and to also return to the land. Okay? So returning is, is, a, is kind of the third element that, that we see in, in the word repent. Come back, right? The prophetic announcement. You're going into exile, but then you're going to come back. All right? And so especially to a Jewish audience, when they heard repent, it was come back. Come back into the land. Come back. And, and, and return from exile. All right, then believe, okay? Believe is uh, from the same root as the word faith. Have faith. To have faith and to believe are basically the same thing. Um, and believe, faith, is, is another really loaded word. It's, it, it, you have to really have four or five different English words to capture the breadth of it, okay? Um, it does mean to believe something is true, like to believe what someone's saying. I believe that what you're saying is true. I accept that, okay? That's sort of one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is obedience, action, okay? And it, it really involves everything in between, hearing someone saying something and believing it, and that implies a certain amount of trust 
And then out of that trust, there comes an action in light of that thing that you believe. Okay? So believing, I think a great, uh, a great word, a biblical word to, to describe what it means to believe is, is the word to walk. To walk. Uh, and that itself is sort of a, a, a Hebrew metaphor for all, the, all your ways, everything that you do, your whole life, going in, rising, sitting down, going out, coming in, you do that. That's, that, that belief encompasses your entire walk of life. Okay. Um, so trust is a very important component of, of faith, of belief. Obedient action as a proof of that trust is a very important component of belief. What you believe is what you live unto and what you live in light of. Okay? It is the ground that you walk on. The ground's there. You are... Uh, you're walking on the ground, you believe it's there, and you walk as if the ground is there. <laughs> All right, so it, it gets inside of you. So this is what, this is what belief is. Um, all right, so what does it mean then to, to, or why are those two things the imperatives that Jesus gives at the preaching of the gospel? He says, the kingdom of God is at hand. That's the good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. And so our posture towards this truth needs to be to repent and to believe it. The kingdom of God is at hand. That means the rulership of God is here. That God has come to reign. Okay? It's not just the kingdom of God, this sort of thing that is out there somewhere. It really means that, you know, we're just saying all authority. It really means that the king is here. Okay, and kingdom implies a king. The king is here, and that's the good news. And so because the king is here, we need to repent and believe that good news. So before we repent, before we repent in light of the gospel and turn toward the kingdom of God, we are ruled by basically three things. And that is the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. Or any combination of the three. And the lust of the eyes is what looks good. What looks good. The lust of the flesh is what feels good. And the pride of life, one way to explain it, is what I think makes me look good. <laughs> and so your life is, is in pursuit, in service, in obedience to any one of those three things. What looks good, what feels good, or what I think makes me look good. Okay, a lot of, you know, you think of what I think makes me look good. Who, what am I going to do with my life? What kind of career do I want to pursue? Well, 
I'm going to do what I think is the most glorious thing from a, from a worldly mindset. So we allow these things to govern us. Right? And this is the problem. This, that's sin. That's missing the mark. That's, that's missing the glory of God. We allow those things to govern us. And so the good news comes and says, well, now the rulership of God is here. The rulership of Jesus, the king, is here. Repent. So it means that we need now to, to, to realize that our lives are not governed by the kingdom. The, our lives are not submitted to the rule of, of God. They're submitted to what looks good, what feels good, and what I think makes me look good. And we need to see those things and realize and recognize and go, you know, that was a really bad choice. This is a bad course of action. That's a whole way of life, a whole walk of life that's wrong. And it's yielding death. And I need to realize that in doing that, I've been a traitor. I've been committing treason in the kingdom of God. To submit to another ruler when God, in fact, is the ruler, that's treason. Right? To serve another master. So the kingdom of God comes, Jesus comes and he says, the kingdom of God is here. So that means whatever it is that you're serving has got to stop. You need to turn away. And those things really, really uh, manifest themselves in all of the, the idolatry of the Old Testament. Really at the root of all idolatry is one of those things. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, or the pride of life. Actually, I've heard a great sermon. Have you heard the sermon, uh, Ten Shekels in a Shirt? That guy, Paris Reedhead, has another sermon uh, where he talks about um, the chief idols of the Canaanites that were a snare to the people of Israel. And he, it was really cool. He goes through, and he, it's, it's Baal, Ashtaroth, and I think uh, Molech. And he goes through and he identifies just kind of what the worship was, what, what, what the drive was behind the worship of each of those gods. And it really does boil down to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That's really what's at the root of idol worship. Idolatry is the reason Israel is in exile. And exile is the place from which Israel will return to God and he will return to them. So repentance says, what is the agenda of your life? What is the goal of your life? It's wrong. You need to realize that your aim in life is off. And you need to turn and aim in a different direction. And it, it's, it's all-encompassing. right? A kingdom is all-encompassing. A kingdom is not part-time. A kingdom is not a... Uh, destination that you go, go to and then return from. A kingdom is you live all the time, every moment within that kingdom. And so the repentance that, that's talking about here is a repentance from in, in every way, your entire life, every area, to relinquish control, to say, I was walking in the wrong direction. Come to your senses. 
So then that's the repentance. That's the turning. But then belief and faith is then the walk after that turn. It's the life you live within the kingdom of God. That's the life of faith. So there's some, I think, some great examples. You could go through and do a word study in Mark of repentance and belief, but it goes even deeper than that because it's not just a matter of the exact vocabulary. It's the whole shape of salvation, the turning away from sin and self and turning toward God. You see that not just with those words, okay? So right after Jesus says this, it says, passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. You don't see the word repent. You don't see the word believe. But we have in that story repentance and belief. Turning, leaving, forsaking, that's repentance. And following, that's belief, that's faith. Following is another great word to to have in your mind when you think of faith. Because following implies everything that, that faith also implies. It implies a trust. It implies a willingness to uh, to adhere to, um, and all those things that, that are behind faith, that, that word follow encompasses those. So the disciples leave their nets and follow Jesus. They turn, they leave, and they follow. That's repentance and belief. Um, let's, let's look at some different things. Um, let's see. This is, uh, let's, chapter 2. This is where the the paralytic comes down through the roof. One of my favorite stories. When they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith. Okay. Whatever they were doing, Jesus recognized it as faith. Hey, whoa, look at that faith. So just think about what, what does that imply about faith? It's desperate. It's convinced. It says, this is the only way. We must get to Jesus. And Jesus says, that's faith. It's driven. All right? That's a great, that's a great story. Description. It's not a definition of the word. It's a description of faith in action. These guys dug a hole in the roof to let their friend down. And Jesus said, look at that faith. Chapter 5. Verse 24. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I even touch his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned into the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. 
But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said, daughter, your faith has made you well. So faith, in faith, the guys went down through the roof. In faith, this woman was convinced that if she just grazed his clothes, she was going to be healed. You get a picture of faith that Mark is showing us This is the kind of faith that we have. We turn and we have this kind of faith in the good news that God is here to reign, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. A little bit earlier in that same chapter, chapter 5, they encountered the demon-possessed man. And he says... uh, Oh, where is it? So he has this exchange with the demons. He, he casts them into the pig. And then it says, in the, And then they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind. I think this is a good picture of repentance. Right? He went from what? He went from living among the tombs, not being able to be bound by any chains, breaking the shackles, wrenching the chains apart, breaking the shackles in pieces, no one having the strength to subdue him, night and day among the tombs, he's he's naked, he's crying out, he's cutting himself with stones on one hand, and on the other hand, he's clothed and in his right mind. It's a picture of repentance. It's a picture of change, change of direction. Change of status. Mark also includes for us some some negative examples. Examples where people are lacking in faith or not having faith. Chapter 4, verse 40. I talked about this at at, uh, communion. He awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Have you still no faith? Even after the resurrection, he gets on his disciples, uh, the same disciples that he got on here, because they're they're not believing the reports about his resurrection. He says, I told you it was going to happen. And he rebukes them for their hardness of heart. In chapter 6, An example of a lack of faith. Chapter 6, this is in his hometown. And he says, you know, prophets never welcome in his hometown. Verse 4, except in his hometown among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid out his hands on a few people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. What was the cause of their unbelief? It says this. Verse 2, on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James? We know where this guy comes from. We know his mom and dad. We knew him when he was a little snotty-nosed kid running around. I don't know if Jesus was ever a snotty-nosed kid. Maybe that was blasphemy. I bet he pooped, though. 
We changed his diapers. We know this kid. Who does he think he is? They couldn't fathom Mary and Joseph's kid doing mighty works, doing miracles. This isn't possible. This doesn't happen. Right? This small town kid, this backwater town. Oh, this is not, we don't believe this. So there's negative examples in his disciples, his hometown. Um, plenty of negative examples among the Pharisees. But the most egregious of them is in chapter 15. Verse 31, so also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Oof. That we may see and believe. We'll believe him if he comes down from the cross, because we know that any Messiah doesn't die on a cross. That's not what Messiah does. That's not what the Christ does. So we'll believe, he, we'll believe in this Christ just as soon as he gets down from the cross. He's hours away from expiring. Some Messiah that is. <laughs> right? You couldn't be more far from the truth. But they even use that word believe. Right? But that's the exact problem. Believe that this is God. Believe that he is it. Right? So, repent and believe the gospel. We could talk a lot more about repentance and belief, but we're not going to do that tonight. I want to talk about what I think is the most important word in, in that phrase. I guess it's a clause. Is it a phrase or a clause? Does anybody know the difference? It's a clause. It's an independent clause. I think the most important word in this independent clause is the word and. Because right, what if it just said, believe the gospel? That wouldn't get you very far. When you have someone who just believes the gospel, but doesn't repent, you have an impenitent believer. It doesn't get you very far. If they were a soil in the parable of the, so- in the, the, parable of the sower, it would be the, that would be the one full of weeds. You haven't gotten the weeds out of your life, the cares of the world, the desires for other things, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. You haven't turned away from that. You've added Jesus to all that. And you haven't repented. You haven't laid that aside. You haven't turned away. And so what happens is the gospel gets choked out and it doesn't bear any fruit. Impenitent believers. There's one in Mark. There's a famous one. That I didn't write down the reference for. 
Chapter 10, verse 17. As he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Real quick. It says he ran up and knelt before him. Usually, and you can go through Mark and look at this, people who are about to be healed... They run up and they fall down before him. I, I, think it's, I think it's interesting that he just kind of comes up and kneels. It's not desperate enough. Right up front. He ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said, Teacher... All these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. What does he lack? Repentance. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Turn from your life. Turn from your whole life. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He believed. He could not find it in himself to repent. Jesus says in chapter 8, verse 34, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Impenitent believers usually love churchy versions of worldly activities. They love the ways Christianity can enrich their lives. They are the curious, the consumers. The church shoppers, the fans, (laughs) and many of them will end up going away sorrowful or proving unfruitful because they lack repentance. They have not left. They have supplemented their life with the gospel. On the other hand, we're talking about the most important word here, and, repent, and believe. What if it just said, the kingdom is at hand, repent, full stop. (coughs) Repentance is vital, but it's not exclusive. It's not the only thing that we need to do. Repentance without faith brings death, not life. It's the cross without the resurrection. John's baptism was the baptism for repentance. And he said, one after me is coming who is greater than me, and he's going to baptize you 
with the Holy Spirit. The process is not complete until the Spirit comes and in faith we are filled with the life of God. Paul describes the difference between John and Jesus in Acts uh, 19.4. Interesting verse. He says, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was coming after him. Repentance was not it. It was not the end. John's ministry was one of repentance, which was to prepare the way for the one who was to come. This is in a, in a portion of Scripture where Paul is telling people that they've been baptized, but they haven't received the Holy Spirit, which was the whole point of John's baptism. They said, we've been baptized into John's baptism. He says, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? No, we didn't even know that there was a Holy Spirit. And then they get rebaptized in the Holy Spirit. And Paul laid his hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came on them. It wasn't enough, it was incomplete. They were sincere, they had repented, they had taken a stand, but they did not believe, and they were not filled with the one who was to come. The prodigal son, who's a great picture of repentance, he, luckily, I think he, he, he found out what faith really was. He found out what the, what the father was really like. But repentance without belief is like the prodigal son's plan. You remember the plan that he had? He said, this is, I came to, came to my senses, and he says, all right, I know what I need to do. I'm going to go be a slave in my father's household. What did the father do when he got there? He treated him like royalty. Right? It was the right attitude. Right? Repent. You're eating slop with the pigs. Turn. But it was the wrong outcome. He didn't turn toward the right thing. He turned toward what he thought was the right thing. Slavery in my father's household. That was not the plan. That was not the father's heart. So you have impenitent believers, but you can also have faithless repenters. Faithless repenters. If we we lose this and. I think the disciples, until they they came came to a deeper understanding, they were in some ways faithless repenters. Right? When Jesus rebukes them from the boat, he says, have you no faith? You've turned, you've followed, but you don't have, you don't trust. What, what it, <laughs> then why are you following me? If I'm not him, why are, you, why are you afraid? Why don't you believe? And so usually faithless repenters are those who are always aware that something's wrong. <laughs> something's off. I'm doing it wrong. I need help. 
but they couldn't really tell you what's right. They know exactly how they've failed, but they don't know exactly how they've succeeded. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Do you find yourself sometimes being a faithless repenter? This is wrong. I've got to change something. I've got to do something different. What? And why? So, what a faithless repenter lacks is faith. Faith which hears God, which draws life from God, which trusts God, which fills themselves with the word of God. Proactively draws a vision, a, a, a creative vision for life from God. Not just turning and being aware, yes, I, I failed, I'm, I'm wrong here. But where's the faith in that? The faith that says, no, that's wrong, but this is right. And I believe this, and I pursue this, and I will make a hole in the roof to get to this. And I just need to touch the garment of this, and everything's going to be all right. I know who it is that I'm following, and I know that this is the plan and that he has me. Faith draws a proactive vision from life, from constant dependence upon God and trust in his word. Faithless repenters really follow Jesus and, and, but are still bound in fear. Right? Where an impenitent believer is bound in the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, a faithless repenter is bound up in fear. And they have not experienced the freedom of the sons of God. Right? There is no condemnation. They need to get into Romans 8. Hey, if you're in Christ Jesus, look at what happens. You're participating in the redemption of the earth. It's a proactive program, right? It's not a sin, sin awareness program. Yeah, you need to be aware of your sin and turn from that, but now you, you've been, that's dead. Now you're alive in Christ. And look what we have to do. Redeem the earth back to God. Isn't that good? I think that some of us can spend a little too much time just counting up the ways that we need to turn. We're going to turn from sin and turn from... Did wrong here again. But what are we moving toward? What are we pushing toward? What are we pressing through the crowd toward? Do we really believe that if we touch Jesus, that if we spend time with Jesus, our whole lives will be transformed? If not, why did you repent? If you don't think Jesus has you, why are you following him? If you still think you have to worry, why are you following Jesus? If you think that he's going to let you drown in the storm, why are you following him? Why did you wake him up? You knew he could do something about it. You didn't think it was his desire to. So there's a great um, passage, and it's actually in our foundations course on repentance. It's in 2 Corinthians, and it talks about the two different kinds of repentance. Repentance. 
2 Corinthians 7, uh, starting in verse 8. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation. Right? Repentance is... Repentance is not the goal. Repentance is the, is the preparation of the way for what's to come. Okay? John was not the one. He said, I'm not the one. But there's one coming after me. And my work is necessary to prepare the way for him. But that's what repentance is. Repentance prepares the way for something that John's not worthy to untie his sandal. You see that? Yes, we need to let the ugliness of sin and the ugliness of selfishness grip our hearts and grieve us. But if we stay there, we're neglecting the one who's to come. All right, we've laid out the red carpet of humility and brokenness. And he's here, and I'm just... We'll never, we'll never believe that you love me. <laughs> No, that's why you repented. It leads to salvation. Whereas worldly grief produces death. All right, so repent and believe. Repent and believe. You cannot repent and leave it at that. You cannot skip over repentance and just somehow believe has to be both. And so at the, at, the, at the proclamation of the gospel, that's the proper response. Amen? Amen? We can't be impenitent believers, nor can we be faithless repenters. All right? So I think we should spend some time. Stephen, you want to come up? I think that almost everyone in this room could hear one of those and let it do a little work in your heart. Is your repentance really, is it just worldly grief? Do you wallow around in an awareness of your weakness? You are weak. <laughs> you are humble. You do understand your brokenness, but, but that's never, it was never meant to stop there. You need to let the Father see you from afar off, bring you to himself, Put the robe on you. And you take your place as a, as a child of God in the household. Or you love being around the people of God. But for some reason you, you find yourself wondering, what, you know, how, how can I become more fruitful? You might need to question whether you've really turned and forsaken yourself and denied yourself. So let's just, let's just consider each of those two imbalances to the response to the gospel. And let's let the Holy Spirit come and balance us where we need to be balanced. Bring the and into focus. Repent and believe. 
Let's just spend some time in prayer and then uh, and, and worship. Um, but after that, if you have something that you want to share or, or something that you want to let everyone in on, um, we'll have a few minutes of sharing after this. So let's spend a, a few minutes in prayer before, before that.